0: Susa, you see that? That's the capital city of the whole empire. It's where the king lives, and that's where we're going to be in the Book of Esther. And then the last map, ah, oh, on purpose, is uh, Susa. So Susa's in modern-day Iran, which is still in the headlines, so nothing really changes. Um, so we're in Iran, we're in Susa, we're in the Persian Empire. Good. So, drama. I need some volunteers. Josiah, you can be the king. Okay, I'm going to need a queen. Katie, come up here. And I'm going to need a servant. Sam Lacey, you can be the servant. So this picture, this is from the film 300, and I really wanted to show a clip, but it turns out it's a 15, not so good with the kids around. But this is Hollywood's portrayal of King Xerxes. Okay, so he's the king of the Persian Empire, Josiah. That's you, okay? And in, in the video clip, like he's carried by all these people. So, Sam, you're going to do a bit of carrying. Right, so I also need a messenger. Who's got a loud voice? Anna Simmons, you can be a messenger. You've got a very, very loud voice. So, this is what's going to happen. You're going to piggyback King Xerxes. Okay, Sam? So piggyback King Xerxes. Queen, Queenie, you go stand at the back of the room. And messenger you stay here. Right, King Xerxes, you parade around your kingdom, that's it, very carefully, and wave to people, greet them, they are your subjects, you are the king. So King Xerxes, he's having this huge feast, okay, and it's a party that's been going on for over half a year, half a year of feasting. He's trying to show the whole kingdom who's in power. Shout that you're in power. Okay, he shouts that he's in power. So he's displaying for everyone his wealth and might and it's an incredibly extravagant feast and he spares no expense and anyone who come back anyone who come back anyone who is anyone <laughs> is invited okay so at the pinnacle of the feast okay so it's the crescendo of this half year feast everyone is present and watching the king summons the queen as his ultimate prize to display her glory in front of everyone so king i want you to shout to your messenger to bring the queen queen you then you then need to say no thank you messenger you need to then come back and say to the king she says no thank you okay can we do that go Get get the queen go get the queen Queen said no, thank you. no, thank you. So King, you need to get really angry now, okay, and command your ser- you can get down actually. You're not on that piggyback anymore. Com- <laughs> com- command your servant, which is Sam, to go and take the Queen away. Okay, and servant, go and take the Queen away. Okay, so round of applause. That was the drama. Have a bag of sweets. Oh, sorry. I also forgot to say that in case I get a bit too dry um, there is going to be a random sound clip and at that sound clip, no matter what I'm doing or what I'm saying, I will have to distribute sweets everywhere. I don't have control over this. Somebody at the back does. So, Candyman, oh the Candyman candy candy can, the Candyman can. Fine. Okay, so that's going to happen, fine. So it's going to be chaos. So that's chapter one. The queen's out, the king's mad, and that leads us straight into chapter two. So this is where we're introduced to Esther and Mordecai. We should have another slide up there with a picture. That's, I found a picture of Esther on the, on the internet. So uh, apparently they were there at the time. So these two play a big part in the story. Um, the king becomes sad because he's got no queen. He consults his royal advisers, And they recommend that all the most beautiful women in the land are gathered up to find a new queen. Women that still have a flower in their hair, if you catch my drift. (laughs) At this point, we meet Esther. She's been adopted by her cousin, Mordecai. Now, Mordecai loves God and knew and followed his commandments faithfully. So we've got Mordecai and Esther. He looks after Esther, who was an orphan, Esther is under his authority at a time in a culture where men would rule over women in most respects. And this is why the queen's refusal to Xerxes is so humiliating to the queen, right? So Esther is faithful and obedient to Mordecai, who is faithful and obedient to God. Now, all the beautiful women in the the land with flowers in their hair are taken, probably by force, and they're kept in the king's palace in Susa. And they're kept in the harem for three years. And in that three-year period, they are made to look even more beautiful with makeup and massages and, and all sorts of beauty treatments. And then one by one, they're chosen by the king who removes the flower from their hair. And if he doesn't take a fancy to them, they're then rejected to the second harem forever at the mercy of the king, which is just yuck. So... I mean, can you imagine if that happened now? It would just be like Big Brother, crossed Love Island, crossed OK Magazine. Just, it would be absolute. The Candyman. The Candyman. Oh, the Candyman. Oh, the You candy oh, can. candy can. have to give those to children, by the way. So where was I? So uh, yeah, I mean. As a husband, I understand that women take a little bit longer to get ready, and they spray eyeliner on and all sorts of stuff. But three years they're doing this. I mean, what can't you do in a year that you need three? I don't know. And um, I'd like to see a version of this where the queen chooses a king and gets all the blokes, and they just sort of throw a shirt on and take five minutes, and that's fine. It doesn't matter. So Esther's really beautiful, and she's done really well in this three-year period. So she's kind of elevating up in the harem, She's taken with force okay, but she remains obedient to Mordecai who told her not to tell anyone that she was a Jew. Mordecai would check up on her as often as he could and you really get the sense that this was a terrible thing that had happened to Esther and would have deeply worried Mordecai his precious adopted daughter at the hands of a pagan king. We don't hear God's narrative in this story. In fact, God is not mentioned at all in this book. So as we read the story, we experience these events as we experience our own life, unable to see what God is planning for our future, but we just have to trust in his ultimate control that no matter what's happening, he's going to work that for our good, and we have to be obedient to what he's called us to do in the meantime. Esther didn't know the outcome of her captivity But she would have trusted in God's ultimate power and control over her situation. So she's taken to be with the king. He takes a flower from her hair, but subsequently makes her the queen of the whole empire. So that map we saw, she's now gone from being an orphan to the queen of that whole empire. God's sovereign plan becomes clear. He uses the positions of Mordecai and Esther for his purposes. So I'd like to look at Esther's obedience to Mordecai and her suffering at the hands of a pagan king. Because as Christians, we're called to both act on what God has commanded us to do, which is his revealed will, no matter how difficult, and trust in his ultimate control over our lives, which is his sovereign will. Those are two distinct things. So for those at school... This means that Jesus wants you to be like him, even though this is going to expose you as someone different from everyone else in a culture where fitting in is really important. And I want to tell you that I know that feeling of humiliation well. People laughing at you because of what you believe and sticking out like a sore thumb. In the moment, you just want the ground to swallow you up. Can I say to you that God has got a mighty, mighty reward for you? for that obedience to him. He sees you and is with you in those moments. I want you to remember these words of Jesus. It's from Matthew chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, and I've held on to these ones. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Remember, like Esther that God is in control of all your situations, the good ones and the bad ones. He is both totally 100% in control and chooses to partner with us in life and uses our will and actions to accomplish his will. So, we've got a slide. Good. So, this is an optical illusion. Hands up if you can see a cup. Hmm. Hands up if you can see two faces. Hands up if you can see both. Most of you can see both. Okay. The next one. Hands up, who can see the cat? That's a lot of you. Who can see the mouse? That's quite a lot of you as well. Okay. Can we see the next slide? Okay. Who can see the duck? Mm, quite a lot of you. Most of you. Who can see the rabbit? Okay, who's seen this before? <laughs> Fine. Well. The Candyman. The Candyman. Oh, the Candyman can. The Candyman can. i do some over here as well. Look. Watch that way. Whey! Oh, it's a hard one. What a catch. You're like that dad that caught the baseball as it was just about to hit the child's head. The candy mm. man. The Candyman. I just think I should join in on this. So, right, the last one. Who can see... This was a mistake. Who can see the old man with a hat on? Who can see anything else? Rach, what is it? A what? A cowboy? No, that's the old man with the hat on. Can anyone see anything else? Okay, maybe there isn't something else. What is it, Nay? A young woman? Where? Okay, there's a young woman in there. Oh, Sandra. A badger. Yes. I thought maybe there was a bird flying off his shoulder, going the other way to where he's looking. It's not very clear. See, with these illusions, it's often hard to see both pictures at the same time. Our brain only wants to see one of them and only processes one side of the image. And in the same way, not identically, but in the same way, God is both 100% in control of your life and we have 100% free will. And sometimes it's just a lot easier to see one side of that than the other. He's totally in control of your life, and he loves you. For those that love him, his plans for you are always for your good, even if they involve suffering. Even though he uses us in our flawed, broken state, his plan will always be accomplished. I love hearing testimonies from people that go and Love Hail- Hailsham for the first time, where we tell people about Jesus and you know they're really nervous and then they're just elated because god has used their actions their sacrifice to bring his kingdom in saturday mornings are a sacrifice but god uses our sacrifice and our faithfulness to accomplish his will in hailsham he uses us to accomplish his will that just boggles my mind hailsham is desperate ...to hear about the good news that Jesus brings... ...and it's down to us to open our mouths... ...and tell people about Jesus... ...God chooses to use us... ...and if we shut up, then so will he. The last picture... ...was hard to see. Sometimes... ...God is weaving a picture in our lives... ...with suffering... ...or with seemingly unanswered prayer... uh, ...and we can't see it. But he's not absent. He's doing something. And like Esther... You will see his purposes when you look back. We can't look forwards. You will see his sovereign hand in your life and you will see a plan being woven that is good for you. Let's just look a little bit more closely at the text. So if you've got Bible, it's not going to appear on the screen. Unfortunately, that's my fault. So we can turn to chapter 1 of Esther. and I want to look at verses 10 to 12. On the seventh day... When the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, oh dear, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abagtha, Zetha, and Carcas, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Xerxes, different name, same king, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. God uses Xerxes' decision to banish the queen and was sovereign over that situation. Even though Xerxes had declared himself to be the most powerful man on planet earth at that time, he could not affect the will of his own wife. His control was shown in front of everyone to be limited, and it was a humiliating experience for him. He was embarrassed and humiliated in front of the most important people in the empire at the most important time. You see, power hates humiliation. World leaders, world powers, invest time and money and effort prevent themselves from being exposed to humiliation. I've just finished watching the new Chernobyl series on TV and what was clear is that the Soviet Union couldn't acknowledge the scale of the incident because that would just humiliate them on the world stage. They they had to cover it up. As you can see from this story, we've always lived in a world where powers will declare themselves to be a god to be ultimately powerful, and to be able to control all things. But we know this is not true. We know that all power and authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. It belongs to Jesus. Amen? Jesus is the king of kings. He is the lord of lords. His dominion knows no ends. Xerxes' kingdom, it says in the text, it goes from India to Sudan, but his kingdom knows no ends. Power hates humiliation, but the ultimate power, the king of kings, Jesus Christ, he chose to become humiliated on our behalf. He elected to hang naked on the cross scorned and mocked by his enemies and abandoned by those who said they loved him. He was publicly shamed for our sake. He endured the rejection of his friends. He endured the scorn of the very people he came to serve and save. Why? Because he flipping loves you. He adores each and every one of you. He thinks about you all the time and would literally do anything to be with you he showed us that so he died and rose again so that we we don't have to carry that baggage of sin and shame don't have to carry it any longer i mean is there a point in your life that you're ashamed of something that pops up when you're trying to get to sleep can i tell you that jesus promises total freedom from this shame John 8, 36 says, So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Total freedom, not partial freedom, total freedom, not a general sense of forgiveness, but this lingering sense of shame. No, total freedom. We can leave this crippling burden of shame. Shame over what we've done, shame over what's been done to us, shame over how we've been treated, we can leave that behind. We don't have to live with it. Thanks to the cross, we can leave shame at the cross. He died naked and alone, but he is risen and robed in glory and power and wants us to live in his life, clothed in him. I'd like to invite the band up because we're going to close with a song. Can we have that last slide up? Power claims to be in control, but isn't. Power hates to be humiliated, but avoids it. Jesus says he is in control and really is, and Jesus was humiliated and chose it. Humiliation and shame are powerful emotions that sometimes, especially in the West, we just don't pay attention to shame. It's not in our culture. We're more attuned to pain than shame. Let's leave it here this morning. In closing... We need to trust in God's sovereign plan for our life and be faithful to his revealed will for us despite difficult circumstances. We acknowledge his power and sovereignty over all things and live our lives in total freedom in light of the cross where he chose humiliation on on our behalf. I personally have known the power of Jesus to lift that burden of shame from my life and would like to invite you up for prayer if this is an area of your life that you wanna walk in freedom in. As the band plays, come down to the front, down here to your left, and come and receive prayer. The other thing, just quickly, sorry I invited you up like that, but just quickly, as I was praying for this, I I had a picture in my mind of someone that was walking down a corridor in like a swimming pool with really, really slippery tiles, and they were, Terrified that they were gonna they could feel how slippery it was and they were terrified that they were gonna slip over and really hurt themselves again. And I don't think that's a physical thing, you know. I think it was emotional, I think it was sin, and there was a handrail there, and I felt like God say, just hold on to me. And if that's you this morning, if you feel like you're weak, if you feel like you're gonna fall, if you feel like you need to hold on to Jesus, I believe that God wants you to be prayed for and to to know that as a truth let's just close in prayer Heavenly Father I I thank you that you are in control of every single aspect of our lives Father I thank you that you, you love us and your plan for us is always for our good and your glory Lord Jesus thank you that you endured suffering on our behalf And you knew why, and you chose to do it so that we can have total freedom in your cross. We can have freedom from shame, freedom from the past, freedom from what's been done, freedom from sin. Lord, as we declare that freedom this morning, Father, just help, help us to live in that. In Jesus' name, amen.